We're glad you found us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show that is for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own. So we are here to offer you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert with spiritual psychotherapist, my dear friend and co-host, Steve Hassenberg. Hello, Callie. Hello. Nice to see you again after all these years. I know. It's good to see you. We've had a few uh, repeat shows. We're back with a nice, fresh show tonight. So it's good to be here today and tonight, depending on where you're listening from. And we have some fresh shows coming forward. We do. We're going to tease those up a little bit later. We're working on some juicy shows that we're very excited about. Yeah, so we will share that at the end of the show today. Um, So today, as we continue our mini-series, Spiritual Self-Help Legends, we are going to feature Anita Morjani, who is the author of Dying to Be Me, And the title of our show today is Learning How to Truly Live After Almost Dying, because Nita, as many of you perhaps already know, and how she she has been featured on Unity Radio by our beloved Diane Ray, perhaps among others, Um, but she has an amazing story. Um, She had a near-death experience in 2006, one of the most riveting and widely shared stories of healing and finding purpose really ever published. Um... After suffering for four years with cancer that ravaged her body, left her in a coma for 30 hours, Morjani experienced the other side. Um, Eventually choosing to return to her body, she brought back profound and um, invaluable lessons that would inform her life and the lessons from which we have all benefited since. So like I said, the story is detailed in her best-selling book, Dying to Be Me. We're going to discuss how Anita impacted us. We're going to share our stories of going against and with our own souls, given that that was one of the biggest lessons that she learned on the other side, and offer tips to help you be aligned in a way that may prevent dis-ease in your life. Wow. I need that, Callie. I do too. I really, this is a very, it's a a big, big theme. It really is. Yeah. Um. And the other thing I want to say is I would like to devote this show to my dear friend. She knows who she is. If she's listening, um, who, yes, who is especially resonating with Anita's story now as she goes, as my friend goes through her own health crisis. Um, so let's just build a little bridge where we left off with our last feature. We featured um, Louise Hay. Mm-hmm. The godmother of healing the um, you can heal your life one of the first to really draw a bridge or at least in this day modern modern is it literature technically or modern um, self-help and alternative medicine was really one of the first to draw the parallel between um, our emotional body and our physical body and to almost create a dictionary of sorts of what you can um, kind of find if you open up the sort of peel back the curtains behind every ailment that we experience as human beings and what uh, emotional issues um, underlie that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the bigger overarching theme here and the reason that these two ladies um, are related in varying degrees is because this is about waking ourselves up to become aware of our our inner stuff. We are, surprisingly enough, a mind and a body, and a spirit. And it really hasn't been until recently, and I mean recent, that the medical establishment 
has considered that emotions have a very large role to play in our physical health. So Louise was one of the first people who put that on the map. And of course, Anita's story puts that on the map in a huge way. And my story, which I've said many times on the show, uh, my Epstein-Barr virus put it on the map for me once again. Mm. And, and that emotions always underlie physical ailments in one way or another. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that today. The hard thing, too, as we just stay in before we get into Anita's specific story, is that when one is going through a health crisis, uh, as spiritually minded, um, as believing as we might be in like these tenants, the way you just stated them, when you're in it, you know, how much can you dig? How much can you acknowledge? How much can you take responsibility mm -hmm. for? I mean, you're in deep struggle and pain physically and spiritually and mentally, right? And there's also such a thing as taking too much responsibility. So our, I think our intention with these themes is that um, this is just another, it's another part, another tool, another layer, another tool that can help us to understand and perhaps um, prevent or stave off health issues, just by becoming more mindful um, and perhaps healing ourselves when we're in the middle of them. But we also want to acknowledge that it's not an easy thing to do when you're like in the depths of whatever you're going through. As a matter of fact, that is something I talk to my clients about all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I had a client this week who's been practicing mindfulness for about six weeks. And he said, why, when I got this letter from the IRS, could I, <laughs> why couldn't I practice mindfulness? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I talked to him about, all right? It's possible over time, if you practice, that you'd be able to actually receive a letter like he did and not have, have a flip out. But it takes a lot of work. Right. And, and I think our point, too, one of our biggest desires and intentions with doing the show is to help um, strengthen people's toolboxes when they don't need them. So when you do... You're more prepared. Maybe things are a little more gentle than they would have been if you didn't have the same kind of um, spiritual fortification, psychological right. fortification, right? So we just want to really honor that it's not an easy thing, and it certainly doesn't happen in the moment when you're going through a tough time. Um, so Anita um, Morjani, she had cancer for – well, she grew up in a, um, an Indian family – Hindu of, of Hindu um, belief, right? Hindu origin, and um, but she she grew up in Hong Kong, and um, to a family that um, you know she talks about this all very openly had very deep cultural constraints and parameters and expectations. So she always kind of felt like she was already being put into a box by no one else's fault. Just the fact that she didn't really fit into a lot of the structures that, you know, were kind of being um, imposed on her or that were naturally organic to her family. Things like it being expected that she would be um, part of an arranged marriage and go into a certain career and that women didn't have a voice and there wasn't gender um, equality and, you know, a lot of other traditional sort of belief systems and mores that um, already kind of had her feeling, um, like there was a duality going on inside of her that was pretty deep, right? And um, ultimately, she also talks about how she was very um, afraid. She lost a very dear friend and her father to cancer. She was terrified of cancer. She was terrified of death. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, she was diagnosed with um, cancer and struggled with it for four years, I believe was not interested in conventional treatment. And ultimately her, um, you know, she, it, it graduated into end stage lymphoma and her body started to shut down and she was on death's door, overwhelmed by her body was overtaken by cancer. Um, she had her, she, her body was riddled with tumors the size of lemons, um, as she puts it. And, um, yeah, she was just last rites were called. Husband was expected to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Doctors felt like they couldn't save her. And she slipped into a coma and was rushed to the hospital and the um, doctors battled to save her life. And that's when she had 
the most life-changing experience that she would ultimately live through and come back to share very, very important, valuable lessons. I was just in even preparing the other day, I was watching a, um, a video or two of her on various shows doing various interviews. And just to hear her talk about this is, first of all, really, um, it, it doesn't sound crazy woo-woo. It sounds extremely clear and grounded and just fascinating. So I just invite anybody who's more interested in the story also just to, you know, Google her on YouTube because there's plenty of her and she's doing, she's been doing a lot in a variety of ways with her books and her online um, courses and teaching. So, um, but she entered into a state and I know this is one of your favorite topics is near death experiences. It's always it like is, one of your Kelly. top, right? Number one of your top topics, favorite topics. It is. Um, and she entered into, um, she crossed over. Right. Right. So should we talk about crossing over? Yes. So interesting. It is. It's fascinating. So usually what happens is that somebody who's on the operating table or near death will leave their body and in leaving their body, they will be able to have perceptions, if we say on the operating table, of the doctors working on them, mm -hmm. of the color of the socks that the doctor is wearing, mm -hmm. <laughs> of people who are coming to visit them who haven't arrived yet, where mm -hmm. they are. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that part. Right. She had, I think in her case, it was, I think it might have been her brother was on an airplane. And she saw him en route to her. She saw him en route. So before we get to the climax here, um, what's happening is you're moving out of your ego, which is a wonderful thing because it creates our individuality. But it also separates us from the oneness that she was experiencing the oneness being a part of all, so she could see somebody on the airline coming to visit her. And then from that stage, you usually go through a tunnel. I don't remember if she did that, but the tunnel has a light behind it. You come out into this blazing light. And then pretty quickly, you're in a life review. And you're beginning to see, you're usually sitting with an angel or you're sitting with Jesus, or you're sitting with Mohammed, or you're sitting with Rumi. That's who I would be sitting with. <laughs> you want you want Rumi to be the first person who's waiting for you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and then you're looking over your life in great detail with this being next to you who is sitting without judgment and unconditional love. And you're looking at your life in detail and seeing where you could have loved more and where you could have changed your life to be more compassionate to others, to yourself, loving to yourself, kinder, gentler, all that stuff. And what you're speaking of, we should qualify, is um, documented over thousands of near-death experiences. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands um, that were all res researched and yep. documented where they found this uniformity and common experiences. I don't know if this was exactly her experience, but you're speaking to the bigger picture of like right. what people talk about. You know, now naysayers or people that think this is all a big crock would say that it's just because as human beings dying that we have the same chemical um, reactions or our, our brains are all changing in the exact same way in that moment of death. And mm -hmm. that that's what causes all of this. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we believe to be the case. Well, we are not naysayers. We're not. We are not naysayers. We are yaysayers. <laughs> I can be a naysayer sometimes. Okay. I'm proud of it, but it's true. Um, <laughs> not in the woo, but in plenty of other ways. Um, so with Anita, she entered that altered state. And like we said earlier, she became fully aware of everything that was going on around her. She witnessed conversations that were happening in like other rooms. Yes. Um, she certainly, like we hear this story a lot, you know, witnessed the doctors working on her body and her yep. keenly aware that she was in a place that was one with everything. 
and that she felt herself pulled from her drama. She was aware that there was a larger plan. She was keenly aware that everything was happening as it should and that everything was appropriate. Mm-hmm. And she was also extremely conscious of the fact that that might be a funny word to use right now, but um, that she felt great and that she was perfectly fine and there was nothing wrong. And she was like the best she'd felt in a long time or perhaps ever. And that is very common with all people who have these experiences out of body. They're so clear. Mm. They're so peaceful. Yeah. They're so all knowing that coming back seems like an effort. Mm. So, and that's right. That's something that you hear a lot as well is that um, a lot of people don't want to come back. Right. So she then um, was met by her father and she had had a bit of a um, challenged relationship with her dad and her dad had passed, I believe it was like 10 years before this happened. And he came to her. And he made it clear to her that um, if she chose to come back to her earth body, that her body would heal mm-hmm. and that she had a choice, a decision to make. Mm-hmm. And that he was also encouraging her to come back and live a life in a fearless way that was truly hers, that truly embraced and embodied everything that she thought she was and wanted to be, which is not how she was supported when she mm-hmm. was a little girl growing up. Um, and, you know, and as a young adult, and he was just that person telling her to come back and do it differently. It's so great. So that's another distinction too, um, you know, that I've learned along the way, you know, people say, um, that often when someone, um, leaves their body and dies from cancer, for example, that they lost their battle and, some would say, well, how come my loved one didn't come back or didn't have the opportunity to come back and other people have the opportunity or choose to come back. And it's from a spiritual perspective, always because your work's not done or because your graduation day hasn't, hasn't Mm -hmm. arrived yet. Right. Um, so it's just interesting how, when you look at it from the perspective and you hear her talking about it, how beautiful and how safe and how lovely it sounds on the other side. And yet we have such fear of the idea of dying as a culture, especially in, in our culture. Some cultures, I think, have a much more peaceful time with the idea of death and what happens after, that something does happen afterwards. Um, But for her, her story wasn't done, and she knew she had more work to do and that she had more of a mission, and she came back. I think, um, I feel like I might have all, I might have also said, written something or read something about how she was also very aware that um, her husband really needed her here. He wouldn't. Not that anybody wants to lose their loved one, but that it was very specific that it was not time for her to leave him. I mean, the the funny thing is that all of the near-death experiences, the cases, these are all individuals who came back. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we don't hear from the people who didn't come back. Right? Not in this way. We don't. It's not documented. It's documented in other ways because we, we know right. those mediums and channels. We and could come people. in through dreaming, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Right or other ways. Yeah. We've both had our experiences with that for sure. But usually people would say what you just said, my work isn't done. And so when they go through that life review, they see they could have done better. And they go, hmm, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should slip back into the body. So I just want to mention three beautiful things. So in all of these case studies, 99.9% say the same things about their experience. One was, I learned where I could have loved more. Two is, I'm never going to be afraid of death again. And three is that the earth is a school for the soul. Beautiful. I always love that. I remember when um, my boyfriend, Chris, passed away um, pretty suddenly. This is now going back to 2002. I've talked about it a little bit here and there, but the gist is that he had a psychotic break after um, uh, 9-11 and then went into a very dark place, got diagnosed with bipolar. Um, it's a long chapter 
it was a quick, a short chapter, mm-hmm. but a, and a long story and a very, very rough and powerful and informative one for me, um, mental illness in and of itself and what that does and all the things that happen, the mm-hmm. crazy, you know, stories I could share. And ultimately a drug overdose is what, where, when he left at his own hand. Um, but I remember him saying, and this is before he was really falling into the depths of depression and bipolar. He was just talking whimsically once. And he said um, something about um, graduating, you know, like when XYZ happens, I'm going to graduate. And he was talking about dying. And I'd never heard that terminology. Now I hear it more often. Um, But it's beautiful terminology. And if you look at what we do here on earth as a curriculum with all the learning in different chapters and different mm-hmm. levels of wisdom and knowledge we come mm-hmm. in with. Um, it's mm-hmm. just a, it can be helpful when you're afraid of death, which most of us are to some degree, right? I can tell you a, an interesting little story. Please do. My, my client died a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with him for many years, and I love him very much. And uh, about two months before he died, he said that during a meditation he was having, a blue being came to him. And the blue being was so absolutely stunning. It was like a celestial blue And the being was a being of extraordinary peace and extraordinary wisdom. And the being said to him, this is who you will be very soon. Wow. So there are all kinds of things going on out Mm -hmm. there. Oh, my gosh, there are. In terms of our graduation. Was he was he ill at the time that this happened? Yes, he had cancer. Yeah, so he, yeah. Wow, I hope that brought him some peace and some solace. It did. Yeah. Um, so other things that Anita talked about in terms of what it felt like to be on the other side of the, the veil is that, um, as I said, that we are one with everything. She felt like she was one with everything. She felt like time and space didn't exist that all there was was freedom and unconditional love. Ram Dass used to always talk about death being like when you finally are relieved of a, um, of a shoe that's too tight. I always <laughs> love that, that visual. Um, and also that there was no separation, you know, um, that she was aware of all the other lives that she had lived, that she had deep clarity on why she got cancer. Um, and again, the, the biggest reasons being that she had had that fear of cancer. She had had a fear of death and she had had most importantly, I think to the lessons that we yield from her is a fear of being her truest self and how all the decisions of her life had brought her to this point. And so that's why with the prompting of her dad, she decided to come back. And as he gave her his, uh, his marching orders were to go back and live fear- fearlessly. And that's when she came back. Don't you think um, it's interesting, Callie, that her father, mm-hmm. who was so traditional and strict in his earth apparel, mm-hmm. when he left earth and he was a free soul without any of those personality constraints, then became the opposite. <laughs> he became the opposite teacher, the teacher of freedom and liberation and truth and authenticity rather than the teacher of let's do all the things that make us safe on the earth. It's amazing. You and I've talked about that before too. I've asked you about one unnamed person in my life. (laughs) If when she leaves, (laughs) is she going to be, you know, um, when does the awareness come, right? Or when does the relief of like personality and egoic Mm -hmm. mind and all that, when does that leave automatically instantaneously as soon as you cross and you've always said, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So it's just so interesting. It's like you're, you're in a different, in a different garden and uh, we're, I mean, you are, you are from everything I've learned, you are aware of the other side. Once you go to the heavenly side of the veil, right? you are clearly aware of what you've been through 
uh, and who you are as a human. Right. It's almost like we're in the um, small band of consciousness mm -hmm. and then you go to the broad band of consciousness and you're aware of the whole. Right. Well, they they say that um, if it worked the other way around and, you know, I wish it did often. Um, <laughs> I'm a little yes, I'm a little obsessed with that. Um, as Ram Dass always says, said, you know, love, serve and remember. And the remembering has to do with just this. It has to do with the stardust and the oneness and the sense of love and source and divinity from which we all come. But we don't remember that when we're, you know, popping back into these human bodies, because it was explained to me once that like, if you're watching a movie, would you watch the movie and, you know, already want to know what the end is before you've sat through the whole thing? You know, it's just sort of a, an easy way to kind of process it and not feel so bummed out that you don't remember um but that's also where different there are different ways to get there that's where meditation comes in and practice Absolutely. comes in and, yeah so with that we're going to take a little break in a moment um when we come back we're going to talk about some more of the lessons that anita learned how steve and i have tried to adopt some of this knowing um into our lives or haven't the success we have had, the success we haven't had knowing our own divinity um, and living from a place that Anita hopes we all can thrive in. So we will be right back. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. Today, we are continuing our little mini-series, Spiritual Self-Help Legends, and we are featuring Anita Morjani, who's the best-selling author of Dying to Be Me, among many other books and lots of online presence, who chronicles her near-death experience in 2006 in her best-selling book, and really had a miraculous um, recovery, spontaneous healing almost, right? So we were just talking about how she, after four years of cancer and being um, ravaged and really knocking on death's door, did die, had a near-death experience, and on the other side, learned that, um, first of all, that she was one with everything, that all was timeless and, and spatially different than here on earth, that she recognized why she had gotten sick and how to face her fears, that she was encouraged by her father that she had lost 10 years earlier to come back and live a more authentic life uh, instead of going against the grain of her own self, which is most of the reason that she believes got her to that illness. And that all is actually cool on the other side of the veil and that we don't have anything to fear. So we've been talking about her story and we've also been just sort of sharing our own knowledge of near-death experiences and all the research that's been documented over many, many moons, right? Not hundreds of years, but definitely. Oh, what? the research probably yeah, in about gone? 1979 or so. Oh, okay, pretty recent. Starting with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Yeah, oh, that's the other one who's one of right. our favorites. So if you'd like to join the conversation, if you have any stories you'd like to share, questions you'd like to ask, um, fear around this topic that you'd like us to help you with, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 816-251-3555. Um, so in terms of the lessons that, sh that, that she learned, because we had said that she really realized that everything had led her to that moment and that mm -hmm. everything had been perfect. All mm -hmm. her suffering, both emotionally, psychically, mm -hmm. physically up until that point had all been appropriate mm -hmm. and it had all been divinely mm -hmm. written for her. Um, I think the biggest lesson that I get out of um, her book and just her 
speaking, you know, her, her teachings is the part about not going against yourself, mm-hmm. that it's so important to let your inner light shine and that probably one of the biggest crimes we can commit a, a, against ourselves is not honoring, not being in alignment. I don't know if it was her or someone else that I heard recently say that it's more important to be yourself than it is to be positive. I, I thought like that, that was very much. Right. So simple and so profound. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about like even my relationship with all these teachings at the you know age of 58 and a half, if I'm going to be exact, um, that I'm still really, really, even as I speak and lately in recent weeks, so keenly aware of all the ways that I'm not aligned with myself as much as I thought I was really on top of it and in touch mm-hmm. with it. There's so many subtle ways. There's so many times where you say yes and you mean no, where you spend time with someone who's not healthy, who depletes your energy, but ultimately um, you don't have, you don't draw the boundaries. Um, Anita talks a lot about how she was a quote unquote doormat or people mm-hmm. pleaser because she thought that that's what was needed and required of her Mm -hmm. in order to fit into um, certain cultural mores and also perhaps to to be loved. That's a lot of the reason that we are people pleasers, right? May I talk about about my people pleasing? Please. Well, I'll only do it if you like me. (laughs) If I, if I, if I'm okay with it. Yes. Okay. I'm very okay with it. All right. So um, what she talked about was super important because um, when you're a people pleaser, which I have been, I am no longer, basically, I started people pleasing um, very early, probably five or six years old Mm -hmm. because of the chaos in my family. And I was trying to please everybody to keep the peace. Huh? To keep the peace, to, keep to navigate. Peace. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that you keep the peace and you try to appease other people, but you don't, you're not allowing yourself to speak truthfully, honestly, or authentically. And so a lifetime of that, just like for her, led me to, I know now and only in retrospect, to my three years of uh, Epstein-Barr virus. And I was always Mm over-helping, over-concerned about others' opinion of me, definitely a placator, and not speaking my authentic voice. Mm. So I relate to this 100%. Yeah, I do too. Um... You know, I've been grown up the way you you and I have not been shy about sharing the fact that our households had a lot of similarities in New Jersey, even though we didn't know each other then. Um, is it in the water in New Jersey? No, it's not. I love I love our home state. Um, but growing up, you know, like with my mom, kind of, you know, mental illness, borderline narcissistic mm-hmm. personality disorder, codependent dad really trained very early on that nothing was about me and my needs were not meant to be met. And it was only about whoever, you know, that one person who ruled the roost and making sure that she was happy and cared for. And at least this is the storyline that was presented to us Mm -hmm. and lives to this day, by the way, doesn't change. Um, And so one grows up feeling like, you know, you don't have your own voice, that you don't matter, that you're invisible, that you're not seen. That's always been a really big one for me, not seen and not heard, which is why I do those two things really well, because I've overcompensated so deeply. My seeing and my hearing both physically and metaphorically are very, go very, very deep. It's funny, those are my hyper, you know, hyper um, developed um, senses. I'm just realizing that now. Um, And, uh, Yeah. So it's very, very easy to get, you know, to build those reflexes where you start just just learning that, not that you're completely meaningless, um, but that it's not about you first and foremost. And you don't real, you don't develop your own truths because your truths are about somebody else's voice is louder. And, um, and it takes a lot of awareness and unpacking and therapy and meditation and crying and whatever tools you have, if you're lucky enough to even start to unpack unpack it 
um, to realize like how deep it goes. So even at this point in my life, I'm still realizing that in such deep ways and where I still go against my grain and where I don't. So that's like her biggest, I have it even in our notes really with, you know, asterisks and exclamation points is that she says, cancer, this is Anita's line, cancer came to save her life. Mm -hmm. She was killing herself before she had cancer. Bingo. Very powerful. It's true. Listen, I have worked with so many cancer patients over the years. Um, Fortunately, most haven't died, but some have died. And I could say across the board that the cancer created a vulnerability in them that sometimes forced them to look inside because they didn't want to. But every time we look inside, we find areas that need our help. We find areas that need healing. And so she was able, her understanding is absolutely perfect. Cancer did give her the opportunity to begin a journey of finding herself once again, dying to be me. It couldn't be a better title in the world. Such a powerful title. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, we just want to reiterate too, for anybody listening that might be going through something like a major health crisis or um, looking at the prospect of impending death, Mm -hmm. that uh, um, at least according to our belief system, the research that we're citing and Anita Morjani's story, that there is um, a divine plan that's way bigger than us and that there's no such thing as failure or losing a battle to a health crisis. It's just that some of us need to stay here for longer periods of time. Some of us need to stay here for shorter periods of time mm-hmm. because there's things that we need to learn, fix, control, get get better, get know, uh, get to know a little bit better. Like you say, this is just, um, you always talk about how everything wants to be known. Every shadowy part of us wants to be known. And so something like your body being ravaged by, or um, ravaged by cancer is just an extreme version of staring. Which is in a sense, please know me. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm scaring you to death. Yeah. I don't want you to run away. I want you to run toward me. Get to know me, find out why I'm creating all these cells. And maybe as you do that, we'll be able to heal together. And we are healing one way or the other, whether we heal back on earth or whether we heal in the spirit. Exactly. Afterworld, right? The afterworld. I like that. Right. I just combined a few (laughs) from column A and column B there. (laughs) Um. Let's see. So what else can we learn from Anita? Um, The other analogy that she used, which I thought was beautiful, I've thought about this one too over the years, is she was also keenly aware that we are all inextricably connected and that it's a big tapestry of experience that we Mm -hmm. all share. We all, we humans, we're all the same. We're all having one common experience, but all of us is one single thread that's woven amongst many, many other threads, and that that's what reflects, you know, every person's um, life and every person's encounter. And that for her, the denial of her true self is what caused her cancer. She had Mm -hmm. low self-esteem. She was incapable of full expression. Mm -hmm. And all her many fears brought her to that place. And fear gave her this gift, the, the, you know, suppressed power and turning and the suppressing of her true power is what forced her, what got her sick in her mind and what forced her to, to change. Um, so one thing we can say about suppression, when you suppress your, your voice, when you suppress your ideas, that suppression is also a constriction in your body. So the mind and the body are always together. So you're constricting your expression, you're constricting often the first thing that people notice, and my stomach hurts. Mm-hmm. My stomach or I have hurts. A, or I have a lump in my throat. I have a lump in my throat. Mm-hmm. My stomach hurts. I'm having a gut reaction. All of those are the way that the body is processing constraint and limitation. 
and limitation over long periods of time unfortunately creates disease. Right. Dis-ease, being Dis-ease. out of alignment with yourself. Right. Um, yeah. I worry about that with myself sometimes. I mean, I try not to give it too much energy, but yeah. it's part of the reason I'm so... Um, the idea of waking up to all this is even louder for me now than it ever has been is because I think about all the times I still do um, have been going against myself in ways I wasn't even aware of or when my body sometimes is taken over by tension because of something, Mm -hmm. some mind stream that I'm dealing with or some narrative Mm -hmm. that I'm empowering and, um, and then not feeling like I have the proper release for it. So at the very least it's helpful to at least start being aware of when your body is speaking to you. And mm-hmm. when you're starting to feel, you know, you know, I have a very dear friend who every, I would say every time she starts talking about something, that has got a little bit of vulnerability or discomfort. She talks about how her stomach, she starts feeling nauseous or her yep. heart, and then she stops herself. And I'm right. always trying to encourage her, like, tell me more, tell me more, but I also don't want to force her, can't pull it out of somebody. It's, you know, um, I just want to be supportive, but to me, it's so obvious that it's exactly what she needs to do is to move through those knots and those icky feelings to let it release. Um, so yeah, suppression, when else have we suppressed? I'm trying to think there's so many times when I've, it's interesting too. It's almost hard to get to be aware of it sometimes because on a lot of levels, you know, a lot of people will know me as very verbal. It could be a real I don't know if loud mouth the right expression, but not, not afraid of expressing myself. Uh-huh. Um, so this can come in subtle and loud ways. It could be people that, you know, that you would be the, the least expecting of feeling this way or experiencing this, um, you know, comes in the form of the indoctrination that Don Miguel Ruiz always talks about what uh-huh. we're taught by our parents, our family, you know, our families of origin, our schools, our society, our churches, it's just sort of the natural way that we're born into this life. And it's not by anybody's fault that we start getting into all of these costumes that we're naturally be putting on. But ultimately we just have to be really careful that we're not wearing them for too long. Well, the interesting, I mean, here's the thing. We accept limitation, right? Limitation is part of the journey of life. And so within the context of that limitation, how do you also free yourself and express yourself? And that's, that's really this movement between the limited nature of our human humanity and our ego and the structures, and also the desire to be free, which is a remembrance of who we've always been. And there's this movement between the two. And uh, unfortunately, (laughs) the material part usually wins, at least for a while, because that's what we're used to. And the spiritual part, which is a higher frequency and more subtle, is a little bit more difficult to grasp and make constant. And so this is the dance that we do. And also to take that point a step further, we're just so conditioned to be small. There's some few Mm -hmm. great quotes I can't remember from all our favorite teachers about, uh, I feel like Eckhart Tolle might have one of them. I can't remember now. I think you're remembering Marianne Williamson's quote. What is it? I don't know the quote in in essence, but it has to do with our smallness and not buying into it. Like or our biggest fear is um, stepping into our power or capacity. Well, it's something to that effect, whoever. Yeah. Yes. So that's another thing that Anita talks a lot about is, you know, like our, um, why are we so familiar with our smallness? Like, why is that what our comfort, our default mechanism is for most of us? Mm-hmm. Even, you know, she says that she early on in her life, she knew she was destined for something big and great, but she just, mm-hmm. um, and so she felt that tension between the way she was living. She was aware of the tension. Um, but she didn't know how to get there and she didn't have the comfort or the support or the tools to, you know, to Mm -hmm. step into that. Um, so one of the other things that she's doing a lot now, more in recent years that she talked about, which I thought was really cool, um, is she's working a lot with life force energy Hmm. and just more, um, just a, a, a bigger awareness of that. And I think encouraging other people to become aware of it too. So I know that when she came, first of all, when she, um, came back from the other side, Within 
very small period of time, maybe three weeks, her cancer was basically gone. Her tumors had reduced to practically nothing. Mm-hmm. And she had for, uh, spontaneous healing, mm-hmm. which is what she was told would happen. And, um, you know, I'm sure, again, doctors in the medical community had uh, attributed it to the chemo she had finally decided to have and all kinds of things, scientific reasons that they wanted to explain it. And God bless, that's fine. Um, but I know that also she had a hard time kind of reintegrating because now she had this very, very vast and expansive awareness. And how do you come back and go to work the next day or whatever and even have a language for that? You betcha. Um, so certainly now she does and she's found her comfort. But she talks about how... Um, the analogy was, imagine that you are not sighted, you know, that you're, that you're blind. And then you, somebody tries to describe what the sky, the color of the sky is, or what a rainbow looks like, or um, what it's like to get off um, an elevator, because you have such a different, I don't even want to say it's a limitation, but a limitation in terms of not having one of your senses. And then suddenly you're woken up to, you have your sight overnight. And you have no frame of reference for what to do with that. So that's sort of what, um, how she explains what happened to her. And what she's starting to do now is really get more keenly aware of, um, she talks about like the threads of vibrant light and what we being, what she saw, uh, we beings to us beings, we beings to be made up of as these highly vibrational essences of energy and how everything's energy we just don't see it again because we're used to either living in lower vibrations or not seeing it clearly um but that's something now she walks into a room and she can just you know you can feel it with people right people either lift you up or they bring you down they either feel like a light bulb has walked into the room they feel like the lights have gone off and so if you start to become more sensitive to that in your surroundings it's a great way to kind of start more actively proactively shifting into alignment and what she's encouraging all of us to do. Um, so she, she just poses very simple questions like, you know, how do you feel when you're with this person or in the situation? Do you feel like you're being, um, filled up and your, you know, your, your phone, your cell phone's being plugged in and your power's increasing or that your, um, battery's being depleted? You know, do you feel lightened or do you feel like dimmed? And it's such a great way to start gauging things. But then the key is to figure out how, how do you how you learn to charge your own batteries because you can't always extricate yourself from the circumstances or dump that person in your life or not go to work the next day or get rid of your mother-in-law. And to, and to be fair about it, uh, we're often put in situations with difficult bosses, difficult mothers, difficult mother-in-laws, difficult people. Mm-hmm. That is karmic. Doesn't mean we're supposed to stay with them or, <laughs> or like rel- it <laughs> or relish the experience, but we're probably being asked to learn from it. So it's important not to run too quickly if you're having a bad feeling, but to be able to assess what the feeling is coming from and whether it's from the other person. This happens in relationships all the time. Well, it's you. If it weren't for you, I'd be fine. Uh, it's so important to look at yourself, where you're being hooked, what your fears are, what you're being asked to learn, what you can work on, how you can evolve. And so that's important as well. Just wanted and, to throw that in. Yeah, it is. It's, and, and it is important. So it's also, she talks a lot about how the key is knowing that, you know, um, that taking care of yourself is not selfish. And that having boundaries is you got to keep your own cup full first if you're going to be there for other people. So you have to find your own way of charging your battery so that you're not constantly being depleted if you can't completely remove yourself from that situation. And like you said, to recognize that it's there for your greater learning and to mirror something and to catalyze you to pay attention to something that perhaps you haven't paid attention to before, right? Um, so with that, let's offer some of our action steps. We haven't talked about our out-of-body experiences and our psychedelic experiences and visits from our loved ones <laughs> from the other side and all these things that you and I have experienced. Um, but most importantly, we want to offer some takeaways that we hope can help our dear listeners. So these are our suggestions for today. Number one is notice when you're going against yourself. 
Do you say yes when you mean no? Do you spend time with people who deplete you? Are you going against your grain at work? Um, are you, what's, how is your piece of the pie being split up? Are you bringing yourself more joy and alignment than not? Just start to notice that. And then second, notice what actions and people dim you versus brighten you. So there's kind of, these are, these have a lot of overlap and you might even want to write it down just because it helps to create a little bit more um, mindfulness around it. Um, who is it that lights you up and makes you feel full and puts a smile on your face and makes you feel at ease? Who doesn't? What situations do the same? And then thirdly, um, learn to love yourself, which is such a cliche. It's such an overused term, but it's so important. It's the most important thing. Write a list, have a little fun, have a little like love affair with yourself. Write a list of what you love most about yourself and keep adding to it. Um, it's a good way and you can read it every day. Take a look at it and just, uh, you know, sort of sit with some of the things you want to celebrate yourself. That's always, great. Yeah. I, I like have that. this little assignment for most of my clients mm-hmm. to write a list of 20. They have 25 things that they love about themselves or they're passionate about. And then they cut it up. So they're like little fortunes. And they put those fortunes in a beautiful bowl and each day they pick one out and they act as if it were true. At the end of the day, they put it back in. They do it for six weeks because it takes six weeks to create a new habit. I love that. So beautiful. And it could be fun. It's so fun. People love doing it. For my 50th birthday, um, as part of my weekend away with friends that came in from out of town and all kinds of lovely surprises, my sister and my mother bought like all those little, like these little baby white, almost like um, just little pieces of paper, kind of like, uh, they almost look like those little price tag pieces of paper. And they wrote uh-huh. all these adjectives about like what they thought of me. And then they hung it in the hotel room where I was staying before oh. I got there. It's a good one, right? But it was so beautiful just to see, you know, we we do that for other people and other people do it for us, hopefully. But do we do it for ourselves? Do we treat ourselves the way we would our best friend in all kinds of situations? That's really ultimately the bottom line, like probably number one takeaway, number one lesson from all of this, right? And that's what the Buddha said. Be a good friend to yourself. Right. And it's for whatever reason, the one that eludes us the most. We're really good at not doing that, even if we know intellectually, it's a whole other thing to to sit with it and just try to really get so in, embody that. Right. So to repeat our action steps of today, um, notice, start to notice when you're going against yourself in all the little ways. Maybe you're being too polite at the dinner table. Maybe you want to send your meal back and you don't. I'm just making up silly examples, but these are all examples. Um, do you say yes when you mean no? Do you spend time with people who deplete? You just start to, you know, just start to kind of pay attention. Um, notice what actions and people dim your light and brighten your light. And then finally learn to love yourself by writing a list of what you love most about yourself and keep adding to it and read it every day or do Steve's exercise about cutting little pieces of paper and acting as if until it ultimately becomes reality. So we want to thank everybody for joining us. We have some juicy shows coming up. Do you want to tease them real quickly? We have like a few seconds. Uh, Yes, we're going to Self-Realization Fellowship in March and we're going to do a show from there. We're going to, and some other treats that are coming, but we'll tease those next time. So we want to thank everybody for joining us and have a good week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.